Hello, welcome to the second episode of my show. Today, we are interviewing Reed C., who has an amazing story to tell. In April, he will be 31 years sober, so huge shout out to him on that, and let's dive into the episode. Yeah, so I was addicted to alcohol, and then I became also addicted to cocaine powder form, although I did do some free basin, and I liked... uh, other things like ecstasy and pills, but yep. alcohol and cocaine. A lot of those do go together. I only have personally an alcohol addiction, so I never you dipped in anything else. And then how long have you been sober? So I've been sober 30 years. It'll be 31 years, April 15th, 19, wow, that's, uh, that is 20, awesome. 22. Yeah, I got sober April 15th, 1991. Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Back I was then there was Yeah, back then there wasn't what there is now. Like <laughs> the internet. Well, I, I mean, there wasn't that. social media, that's for sure. I mean, it seemed to be a lot like I was kind of like third generation alcoholics anonymous. Like my sponsor sponsor knew some of the first, you know, not 100, but some of the early early timers like my sponsor was a guy named Bobby B and his sponsor was Don P from Aurora, Colorado. And his sponsor was Gary, uh, I think last initial K from Illinois. And uh, he was the first sober member in Illinois and Gary's sponsor was Dr. Bob. So there was like a kind of a cool lineage. Didn't guarantee me anything, but I wasn't <laughs> that far removed from hearing some of the original stories. Yeah, that that must have been so eye-opening, too. Well, I soaked it up. It was just part of my recovery. I was like, since I was getting sober young, once I decided that this is what I was going to, you know, do, I was like, I I need to max this out. I have too long to live to be doing half measures and not get the full extent of this program and, like, half the promises. I want it all. So I maxed it out, and that meant I needed – I told myself I needed to know the history, you know, it, it's, it's not like the, the program goes back 2000 years, you know, it, it only goes back now 75, 80 years. So it's very understandable and, and we're living it now. Mm-hmm. When did your addiction start? Whew, I started using and drinking around 10 years old. Um, you know, the question of addiction, you know, dependency and actual like behavioral addiction and chemical addiction or process addiction that didn't kick in till later till after i was probably 14 but by the time i was 17 years old i was i needed it i couldn't go without it and uh, that's when i started really acting out in ways to get it you know lying stealing cheating whoring whatever it took i know the, i know the lingo now full manipulation full denial full rationalization mm-hmm. i didn't know it then i just was doing it uh, my environment was kind of working against me. You know, I was this, this young teenage boy in the French Quarter, New Orleans. I could pretty much hustle my way into getting what I wanted. And I did. And I scraped bottom, you know, from the time I was 17 to 20. Yeah, they actually say that your brain doesn't fully develop until you're 26 years old. So there's so many parts of your brain at that time that hadn't even developed yet. As yeah, well. I think that really showed itself because 
even in early sobriety, I was I was in a major fog. It, it took years for me to finally like come come to and mature and that sort of thing. Now, what was your dynamic like growing up? Were, would you say you had a really happy childhood? Would you say it was more of a traumatic childhood? It was somewhere in between. Like the first ten years of my life were good. You know, I was I was out and about and having having time of my life, and then. You know, I don't know. My dad started getting into trouble. He had his own behavioral addictions and and we were sort of detached. And so I wasn't getting things maybe I should have been getting. And there was there was rage in the home and there was arrests and, you know, people's names were in the paper. Family members names were in the paper. And I started getting kicked out of schools, got kicked out of three different schools. And so you know, I don't point fingers nowadays, but there's definitely a correlation and it, it probably could have been predictable that I would have started acting out. And I did. So I don't blame anybody nowadays, but at the time I, I definitely uh, could have used some more love and attention, validation for sure. But, yeah. Yeah. And that affects us. That affects you in a different kind of way. And then I like to use and be able to know what my triggers are. And a lot of my childhood in my adulthood is very triggering. Mm, and it yeah. just brings like, and then you have to deal with that because you don't have a way at that age, you didn't have a healthy way to cope with that. And in that time, no parent was teaching their child how to cope. No, it was all <laughs> you know? sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I wasn't good at sex and I wasn't good at, at, at rock and roll but I got good at, at you know drugs and alcohol and then I taught myself how to play music and I make a joke that I'm, I'm still not any good at sex <laughs> <laughs> now did you find how long did you use so you said you started using like dabbling 10 to 14 17 definitely is well when it got no to yeah I started dabbling around 10 but by the time I was 12 I was you know using something pretty much every day Every day, every other day, and then by the time I was 14, it was every day, 13, 14. They had, uh, in 1984, they had the World's Fair, the World's Expedition Fair in New Orleans. And I could get um, daiquiri drinks and I could get, uh, you know, weed and stuff. So, and then at 15, I, could, I had a fake ID. So I was, I was drinking in bars late at night and... Um, I was playing music, like I, I mentioned, I started playing music and even on school nights, I was out on stage or in a club till, you know, one thirty two in the morning and um, they had drinks like drinking with Lincoln or three for one. So I, I just learned to drink with the best of them. And yeah, by the time I was 17, it was, you know, I was dealing drugs. I was, I was, it was, I was just all about the lifestyle. So you didn't really have any kind of structure from either of your parents because you're out normal kid, like in a normal childhood, like let's say a no. healthy childhood. There's they a parent trying to like, yeah, there's a parent trying to pull you back. And in your situation, there was no, no. one trying to pull you back. You just had free reign to do whatever you wanted at such a young yeah. age. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. I was out the window or out the front door. And at 15, you could have your driver's license. And so didn't have much of a car, but I made the best of it. And I went all over the place. And sometimes I wouldn't come home and ended up hitchhiking one time to uh, New Mexico. Uh, ended up with a mohawk. Um, you know, went to three different treatment centers, which was, you know, there was attempts for help. 
I'll give mm-hmm. them, I'll give, I'll give my family that. And then the third one didn't, none of them really worked, but it planted seeds. So. And then, um, what age were you when you did finally decide to get sober? So I was 20 years old. Uh, and you know, I, my, I had two friends, these two girls, and one of them actually still sober. And they went into treatment. So they were roommates and they sort of went into treatment. I don't know if it was the same week or whatever. But when they got out, they came and got me and brought me to a meeting. And I was familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous because I'd been to Alateen. You know, you'd go and they'd give you a chip. And what I would do is I'd bring the 24-hour chip to this bar and they would tape it on the mirror behind the bar and give you a free draft. That was kind of like an inside joke. Oh, my God. That's crazy. So if if I wasn't throwing the chip out the window, I was going to get free drinks. But when my friends got out of treatment that time, they brought me to this uh, conference that was going on in New Orleans. And um, it was just different that time. They sat me in the front of the meeting and... I began to I began to hear my story from the guy that was uh, uh, moderating or chairing the meeting, and I didn't like people hugging me. You know, all kind of people. You know, newcomer they wanted to hug me. I had all that like, don't touch me. And you know, I, I, I hung on. I hung on. Like the week before was St. Patrick's Day, and and I told the girl I was seeing I was only going to have two drinks, and we show up to this party parade, house party, and they had kegs. You know, and so two drinks isn't gonna line up with kegs so it was like oh it was so messed up there in the beginning I didn't like life I didn't like AA the drinking and using wasn't working and being sober was like almost worse you know in a lot of ways so I really had to camp out in uh, AA clubhouses and around sober people at first and pretty pretty miserable there in the beginning so basically, it was like in that time's version of like a sober house. Yeah, yeah, because we were all hanging out. Um, that's right. That's right. We were everyone that was either living together. I had a roommate. He had like six months sobriety. And I thought that was like the longest, you know, time ever. And then my other friends who I just mentioned, they they had like a little more time than me. And then we were hanging out at young people AA meetings. And um, they had people there with time. So we would all go out together eat together after meetings you know be on the phone you know we used to call each other on the phone and yep even a few of us uh that were in college you know they had meetings on campus and we would all hang out together so sober living that way yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then now from there what did you do so you did the aa program so it's a funny story like in one of my drinking using wasn't blacked out because I sort of remember, but I signed up to join the military. And so I did that before I got sober. And so it, close to three months, before I even had three months sobriety, I had to go to the MEP station and uh, get shipped away to basic training in the army. And so <laughs> I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> couldn't get out of that. And, and so I ended up going to the army and my sponsor at the time and my home group mailed me a card with uh, my three months chip in it, wishing me, you know, support and everything. And actually, like, being in the Army was good because they fed me. You know, I had to work out. I had to get in shape. They fed me. I couldn't really drink and use. And, um, you know, and then I went all over the world with that. So it was actually like a long-term rehab for me. How long were you serving for? Well, 
I did National Guard and I did active. So um, in in total, I did eight years. Nice. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was definitely cool. But all in in between that, I did do AA pretty much full time. Even when I was overseas, like AA meetings in other languages, you know, like in Panama, um, anywhere overseas, I could get to a meeting. It'd be kind of dangerous to leave base and go to a, a non English speaking meeting. But um, I would do it, and it would always be a cool experience. And I read The Grapevine. I don't know if you're familiar with The Grapevine. They call it our meeting in print. Nowadays, with everything being online, um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of gone out. But I used to read The Grapevine and the uh, 24-hour-a-day book, you know, like, religiously. It's like anything to stay sober at that point. Absolutely. And it seems like you're on a good track now from here. So that is where the April date comes in or did, did something else happen? And then that's where you got. No, your no, April no. Date? When I got sober, um, after St. Patrick's day, April 15th, 91, yep. that was it. That was it. I hadn't drunk or used God willing since then. Do you still attend meetings daily? Yeah, def- yep. Well, not, not daily, but, um, on the weekend and then my home group, meets at 8.30 on uh, Saturday mornings. Nice. So, And then I do a Zoom meeting. I've been doing a big yeah. book study lately. So I haven't always, like, been, you know, uh, religious about that. But, I mean, it used to be every day, two, three times a day. And then at worst, it was, like, once every couple of weeks. You know, the, the pandemic we had, that kind of messed it up with Zoom. But um, back on back on like regular attendance now i believe in like my sponsor used to say four meetings a week or like if you you know nothing else make your home group be accountable to your home group and get a service position so that's what i did you know and i didn't always like it but i did it and then now i really enjoy the morning meetings because it's like people are jovial and they're drinking coffee and it's like chitter chatter it's not too heavy it's not deep it's not late at night where people are like i can't wake up on time to get a job and i'm like yeah mm-hmm. well, it's, a, it's a candlelight midnight i mean you know? yeah. <laughs> but you know when i was very new in sobriety that was exactly where i would be i'd sit in those meetings too so heck yeah and then you said you had a sponsor oh yeah i've always had a sponsor and it's really you know some sponsors like early on was like okay i need someone who's got more experience got good sobriety isn't on a spiritual you know mountaintop and they could take me through the steps you know literally and that's what we would do we would meet once a week and we'd either have the big book out clocks on this 12 and 12 in front of us and just go through it one at a time and you know it was something you know mystical would happen in in those environments and um and then later uh, I've, I've really had three key sponsors. One of them died. The other one, the first one's still sober. And then my current sponsor, he's getting old. But it's really like good friend, you know, someone like mentor, someone you could look, you know, someone I could bounce stuff off uh, off of. We do, we'll do like workshops. We'll have like, you know, spiritual fellowship or fellowship of the spirit workshops where, you know, there's a bunch of people get together and, you know, you go through the book and work the steps. So, uh, definitely have good friends in the program and you know sponsorship did you feel like you were able to get through the 12 steps in a decent amount of time or did you feel at some steps you kind of did kind of stay in those steps for a while and work them out yeah that's 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 an appropriate question um you know in the beginning you know i didn't understand any of it and my sponsor was like you really just need to go straight to step two 
you know, you're so unmanageable. But we still went through step one just to make sure, just to, you know, understand it. And it did take a while. Like my first fourth four step took a while, just writing it all out. And, you know, the fourth column, that kind of stuff, you know, understanding the fear inventory, all the different forms of resentment, the sexual inventory. And so, you know, that took a, that took a minute. Um, and then making amends, you know, step nine, you know, that was spread out if if you want to put a timeline on it because and it, it needed to be it wasn't always appropriate to just run out and do amends so that took a while and then steps 10 and uh, 11 and 12 you know that's ongoing so i wouldn't put it like i uh, i disregarded it and put them off i mean i was always trying to move through it um but i got such a better understanding later with some of my uh with the next couple of sponsors i had they had a little better understanding of the literature and so it began to flow even better then. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I did step work and I personally believe that everybody should work a program. That is my personal belief. And I did it and I did it actually through the Russell Brand book and mm -hmm. which was amazing. I recommend it to anybody, even if you're already done those steps like you have. It's an awesome book. And he was releasing, he had started a podcast at the same time. So he was promoting oh. the book through the podcast. And so like I was reading the book while he was promoting it, which was just almost like a book club. It was great. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And I personally think that um, I have someone who I follow on TikTok and they are three years clean for their children and they've never done a program. And I asked her, what happens when your children leave? And mm. she can't answer my question. Mm. You know, so... It's you want to make sure you do the work. I talk about how I went to an AA meeting and I was, I didn't have my license. I'm in the process of getting it back now. So at the time right. I didn't have my license, only AA meeting around right before COVID hit. And it was a horrible experience for me. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to do this by myself. And it was before all the Zooms and stuff like that. And by the time all that came out, I was just so much further in my yeah. journey. And I started right. therapy. So I worked on, you know, all my emotional stuff. And this brings my next question. Do you feel like you worked on your emotional recovery as well as your addiction recovery? So, so there's a there's a little Bill Wilson wrote a letter called Emotional Sobriety, The Next Frontier. It's in um, language of the heart. And so there was a point, I think it was around a year of sobriety I, that caught my eye and I really looked at it. You know, and I really was like, this is the next frontier, at least for me. You know, I need to look at my, you know, like subtle depression or like mood swings or the anxiety that, that comes with being sober and or newly sober and um, just just managing all that. So definitely like bringing a spiritual practice to match, you know, my level of emotions at the time. I'm still that way. You know, that is still you know, huge for me and my go-to. Um, now that, you know, alcohol and chemicals aren't in my system, I'm still recovering, at least spiritually and, and emotionally. You know, there's there's so much that's contingent upon like my sleep, my spiritual practice, my my like interaction with others, you know, my nutrition. So a whole mindful wellness program affects my emotional sobriety. So anything I, I could get in front of to reinforce that, I'm I'm all about that for sure. 
Yeah. Do you do any kind of a meditation? Uh, yeah, well, definitely. Um, it's hard, you know, even sitting still for like a minute. You know, people try to just 10 minute guided meditations and, and that's great. I'm still twitching. I could I could barely make it a minute and I've been doing this for a long time. And so I'll come in and out of like stillness. And um, one of the first things that like I started to practice was listening. And it talks about that in the big book about, you know, where and how and it's down deep and quiet, you know, so to quiet the mind and to really hear what I call my higher power, you know, revealing himself to me. You know, he's not gonna shout. Sometimes it's like, it's obvious, it's right there and I don't see it, but but other times it's like very subtle and I need to quiet my own mind, my own get still so I could clearly hear the message. And so I, I use that meditation um, practice, you know, every morning and, and throughout the day. My my morning ritual is different than my nighttime ritual. The morning is more like um, I'm thankful, I'm open, I'm grateful, um, I'm expressing. And then my nighttime, I'm a little more worn out from the day and I'm, I'm, I'm questioning, I'm asking, I'm surrendering. So um, I've noticed that, that there's a difference between morning and nighttime prayer and meditation for me. That is, I love that because it is, you have a routine mm, mm-hmm. and that is yeah. so important in sobriety. So important. Yes. Consistency, right? Mm-hmm. We, uh, and, and I'm, you know, the word excitement's in the big book a few times and it's, and it's paired with words like fear and anger. And so whenever I get like these sensation seeking highs, like excitement, I'm real careful because that's a spike. And then it's the same as if I'm like really like down and out or full of fear. Those are strong swings and emotions where it's almost better. It is better for me to stay more on an even keel, um, quit while I'm ahead, live to see another day. You know, I don't have to like fully outdo every experience I'm involved with in, in, you know, with the point being consistency. Let me at least stay sober today and start over again tomorrow and start over again the next day. And that's consistency right there. Now, do you have, so a lot of people, especially recently, because they're coming out with not a non-alcoholic beverage, like I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to go to the store and get um, soda water, right? Not that. So a lot of people recently, because this has become so popular and so many people are stopped, are not drinking anymore. They're coming out with crazy, like, non-alcoholic tequila, non-alcoholic vodka, um, the beers, which Heineken is one that's 0.0, but like O'Doul's isn't, you know, that mm-hmm. still has and things like that. What do you think about things like that for you personally? So, yeah, for me, and I'm not going to tell anybody else what to do unless we had like a very personal relationship and they asked me one-on-one, but to me, non-alcoholic drinks are for non-alcoholics. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I'm not... I get the non-alcoholic mouthwash. I don't cook with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just, you know, in New Orleans, it, there's some great like tiramisu or like bread pudding, you know, and mm-hmm. got the rum, rum sauce. You know, I'm going to be all right if I don't get that stuff. It's yeah. okay. I don't need a virgin Bloody Mary. I don't need a virgin daiquiri. Hey, if that's someone else's go-to, you know, that's their business. But for me, I don't, I don't play with this. I have way when I yeah. when I got here when I when I was first getting sober at twenty, I had nothing to lose. Now I have like everything to lose. 
So explain yeah. to us what your life is like now. Wow, it's 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 been a journey, right? So, you know, through the military and then, you know, I have a couple of beautiful children that have never seen me drink or use. Um, did go through a divorce, but we both stayed sober and we're amicable today and we have a, a, a friendly relationship. Uh, all my child support's been paid. Um, let's see, Hurricane Katrina uh, or 9-11 and then Hurricane Katrina staying sober through those sorts of events. And then I went back to school and um, in psychology which is weird because I got kicked out of every school I was ever in. It was a discipline problem. Academically, I never did that well. And then I went back to school and now I have three master's degrees and a doctorate. I'm a doctor of psychology. And um, it's, it, you know, I get, to, I get to work with other addicts and alcoholics and people you know, suffering with mental health. So it's, it's, it's full circle in that way. I'm, I'm, I'm clearly not done. You know, um, I, I, I still remind myself I'm, I'm still new at this and every day I have to start over. There's things I want to like, there's new goals for me, like emotionally and mentally. But I, I have no room to complain. Like the, my prayers have been answered. God has put me in front of other people to help other people. He's put people in front of me when I needed help. I've the great men and women and and, and people that have come in my life just when, when I needed them. Um, you know, it's, it's been amazing. I don't want to act like I've always felt like it's been amazing because that wouldn't be real, but um, it's, it's, it has, you know, I mean, over the last 30 years, like beyond my wildest dreams, not in necessarily the way I would have drawn it up, but when I, when I'm able to like drop back, I definitely see it. Like, thank you. You know, I say that all the time to my high power. So now you had mentioned your ex-wife was also in sobriety. Yeah, yeah. Yep. She's, she's, she's got a great program. She helps all kinds of women. She's got a couple of sober living houses oh, in uh, yeah. South Louisiana. Um, she's one of my, you know, we're not good, good friends anymore just because we don't live together. But like we've, I've known her since we were kids. And um, even though we're not married, we, we share uh, children and, and so. I'm always yes. pulling for her. Yeah, that's awesome. That is, that is so, yes. so yes, commendable. She, and I really, I, I love that. I love hearing yeah. stuff like that, you know, and that's what I'm trying to do in a social, in a social way, because I can't, I have limited, limitability, you know, like I can't drive right now. If I can't drive and do what I want to do. And once that happens, things for me will change. But for now, I just kind of want to do my service in this way and try to help people. And I've, I have people who contact me that have met me through that way. So it's great. So now do you have desire to date? Would you only date somebody that was completely 100% sober? Would you date somebody that, you know, let's say has a glass of wine a week? Let's just say like an example. Or would yes. you prefer to say, you know, what, I want to do sober dating. There is a sober dating app. So like you totally could go down that road. Or do you feel like you would be okay in an environment with somebody who wasn't 100% in the sobriety journey like you yeah no i've dated and i've dated women who've who've used and drank and um it, it's it's and really there was one issue you know i used to date a girl in california and it was like constant and so that became like an issue that was a turn off i don't have to date someone that's clean and sober um matter of fact i i'm really 
really try to practice hands off, you know, because people, you know, women in the program, they're very empowered. And, you know, that's that's first and foremost. So unless we meet down the road and, and come together, you know, that that would be great. I, I really don't try to design it. Like I said, you know, nowadays all I do is work and, um, you know, go to my son's football games and see if my daughter needs anything. So I have friends, but a condition of you have to be sober. No, absolutely not. You know, and what's most important, I guess the question would be, is if they could respect me not drinking or using, you know, like marijuana is so prevalent now. Everybody seems to be walking around with a pen, smoking it or you know, they want their glass of wine, you know, just respect that that's not my mojo and never, it really hasn't been in so long. And usually they, they, they respect that. There's been a few, especially when I was playing music, you know, they just wanted that lifestyle. But, but nowadays, um, when I meet people, uh, you know, they, they respect where I'm at in life and they don't push it on. I really, you know, I really would be attracted to like an empowered woman who doesn't need a man. They're independent. They 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 take care of themselves and they really just want a partnership or dates and good friend and, and see where it goes from there. I think that's yeah. what's most attractive. I asked because um, my husband is sober. So, okay. yep. So and it just kind of happened by accident. We got set up, you know, by a mutual friend and we just and we just prefer I prefer it now. Um, if I don't think anything would happen, but if anything ever happened, I, I just, I prefer having the safe space. I prefer having the no judgment zone. We can talk openly. We both have, you know, open dialogue with it and it's just such a yeah. safe communication environment. So that is why I ask. And now my that sounds last, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. I'm very lucky. Mm. And my last question is, do you. Are you careful around other addictions like sex addiction, like food addiction, all of those types of things because you know you have this addiction pattern or do you feel like fine around that and you don't really cling to any kind of other addiction? Uh, The answer would be yes, not overly yes. You know, whether you call it process addiction, behavior addiction, you know, um, Lately, there's been like sports book betting. You know, I love football. I could easily like, you know, bet on 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 sports. Let myself get carried away with that. So I'm I'm mindful of the slippery slope that could cause. Um, you know, there's there's sugary stuff. I, I don't know if I'm like everybody else, but you know, I love sugar, and I could like eat nothing but sweets if if it was up to me. And so stopping is at like one you know is i could have i drink root beer i love these little abitas root beers are called down here and I, it's, it's hard to just have one you know i want to have like three you know well, well that's like over 100 grams of sugar like that's just not good so I, i've never like acted out so bad that i needed treatment for another like behavioral addiction or process addiction but I am mindful around gambling, um, I, you know, eating, these sorts of things. Um, what they call it, like a straight pepper diet. You know, you know, we, we could run wild around things, around sex, around food, around, I uh, just mentioned sports and gambling. Uh, I know I'm leaving things out. Exercise. There was a time when I was like exercising two, three times a day. You know, that that's probably overdoing it. It wasn't 
what was called clinically like impairing my life. It wasn't hurting relationships or my pocketbook or my job, but it, was it out of balance? Probably so. And, you know, I had to get right spiritually in that way. So I am mindful of other things, although they haven't like struck me down like obsessively. Thank goodness. Then my last and final question yeah. will be, what would you say to somebody listening who is really wanting to get sober, but just doesn't know how? What would your well, advice be? Well, just doesn't know how, you know, there's questions in there, you know, like what are the resources around you that you can, you know, put your hands on or get to, you know, is it a meeting? Is it a rehab? Is it just a phone number? Um, you know, are you scared of, of white knuckling it at first? Is it, is it medication necessary? What is it that you just can't do. Um, what I tell newcomers is you don't have to like it. You know, we get real picky about like this boutique recovery. <laughs> like, wait a minute, when you're desperate, and like they say in the big book, I'll call it when you're floating, you know, like the shipwreck, we're like passengers on a shipwreck and you're floating out in the cold, deep blue sea, you're not desperate at that point to grasp onto something that will keep you above water. So why all of a sudden in recovery, if you're so desperate to get clean and sober, we start to get picky, like, oh no, I don't like that meeting or, oh no, I don't like these people. Or it's like, wait a minute, like, we don't have to like it. We have to get sober. That's what we have to do. And if this is the measure and the means it takes, then that's what we're going to do. So that's what I tell people. I didn't like AA. I didn't like uh, hugs. I didn't like the, the bad coffee. I didn't like the smoky cigarettes. But you know what? I wanted to be sober more than I didn't like that stuff. And then I started to like that stuff. It was weird. I can't explain. So I tell people, how bad do you want it? You know? Are you willing to go to any length? Like, are you really willing to go to any length? And and so that's that's like first step stuff right there. How desperate are you? 